Well, today is Palm Sunday. Sean pointed that out to us. Palm Sunday is the day that Christians celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus. Uh, it's the day that, that Jesus came down into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. In fact, it was the last Passover that Jesus would celebrate before his crucifixion. Uh, this entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday, actually happened one week before Jesus Christ rose from the, from the grave. And so that's why, uh, that's why Christians today celebrate Palm Sunday um, one week before Easter or before Resurrection Sunday. And this event, this triumphal entry, this, uh, uh, this Palm Sunday event is recorded in, in all four Gospels. All four Gospels talk about this event, which means this is an important event. Matthew 21, uh, Mark 11, Luke 19, John chapter 12. All of these talk about the triumphal entry. Now, when I say triumphal entry, when you turn to your Bible, um, in fact, you can go ahead and turn there to Matthew 21. When you turn there in your Bible to Matthew chapter 21, and probably in some of the other... other, um, accounts, you'll probably find a heading over this section called the triumphal entry. Now, that's not just something that some brilliant church Bible guy translator wrote in there. Oh, let's call it the, uh, the wonderful entry, or we, we could call it the radical, totally to the max, rad, whatever. You know, it's not that kind of a thing. A triumphal entry was something uh, that was culturally, something that happened um, this name comes from the fact that there was a ceremonial entry into uh, the city by very important people, and they would call it uh, a triumphal entry, uh, especially royal people, royalty, kings and, and princes. When they would come into a city, they would call it a triumphal entry. What I want to do is I want to read the Matthew 21 account of the triumphal entry. And We'll start in verse 1 here, and you can read along with me. It says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say, uh, say to the daughters of Zion, to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. In Galilee. 
Many of us have, have gone to church for a long time, and we've probably heard sermon after sermon after sermon on a Palm Sunday, uh, probably from one of these four different accounts in the Gospels. Um, I don't necessarily intend to uh, uh, try to wow anybody with any kind of new sermon, because we've all probably heard it. But there are a few things that I want to point out, really just, really just one major thing. And I'm going to keep this short, because I'd like for there to be a time of, of prayer and worship at the end today. I want to look back at, um, at verse 4. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And when he says through the prophet, he's talking about Zechariah. He's talking about the prophet Zechariah in, cha- uh, in um, nine, chapter 9, verse 9. It, it lays this out. So he's literally, um, Matthew is quoting the prophet there. Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. Put that on the shelf and remember that phrase right there. Gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And it goes on to say the disciples went and did just as Jesus instructed them, brought the donkey and the colt, laid their colts on them. Verse 8, and this is where I want to pause. It says, most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. And then it says, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. It's really significant for us to understand what is going on when these people are laying stuff on the ground. It says that they were laying coats on the ground. They were laying branches cut from trees on the ground. And when they, let me just say this, when they laid those coats on the ground, what they were doing is they were right there, By that gesture, they were literally acknowledging that he was their king. This was a custom that was observed by the people when they were, when God had appointed a man into the kingdom. When God had brought someone in as a king into the kingdom, when he appointed a man into the kingdom. In fact, if you look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, when it, it talks about how Jehu, how he sat with the captains of the armies. And Elisha, the prophet, came by order of the Lord to anoint him king over Israel. And as soon as he came out of that that inner chamber where Elisha was anointing him king and the people saw what was going on, this is what it says that they did. Every man took his garment and spread it under him on top of the steps and blew the trumpets saying, Jehu is king. So they're laying their coats, they're laying their garments down and they're shouting and they're blowing trumpets saying, Jehu is king. Does that sound familiar? This is the scene that we're watching right now. In fact, if you look at the John 12 account of this, it says that they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So what we see right now is the same thing that they did on the day that Elisha anointed Jehu king. This was custom. This is what they did. The people had been looking for king. These people that are laying their coats down, and it says that most of the crowd did this. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road. It's because most of the crowd had been looking for a king, really all of the crowd had been looking for a king. Zechariah and other prophets had been saying, Behold, listen, look, 
pay attention. Your king is coming. Most of the people were aware of that. Then it says that some were taking the branches from trees and and laying it down. We look at John 12 account and it says that, that those were palm branches that they were waving around and laying before Jesus there. I don't know if you know this, but the palm branch uh, is a symbol of triumph. It's a symbol of victory. It's a symbol of, of joy in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish tradition. And so you see that in other parts of the Bible as well. It talks about in Leviticus 23, over in Revelations chapter 7. So this was the way that conquerors and princes were honored. They would cast flowers. They would cast garlands. Uh, any kind of evergreen they would cast before these people. They would cast them before a warrior returning from a great victory. And they would cast these things down before a king entering into his kingdom. So this was a very common way of expressing uh, a joyful and triumphant uh, feeling. And so them, by laying down their coats... And waving the palm branches and putting the palm branches down, they were communicating that they recognized Jesus as their Messiah. That they recognized Jesus as their king. Their king had come. To them, that day was the day of salvation. And now here's the problem. And, and it's always been a weird thing to me um, with this because... This is the same crowd, the same crowd that was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. These are the same ones that later cried out what? Crucify him. And this is a really hard thing um, for me to grasp because it seems like there's this double-minded thing going on. You know, and I'm just like, what is going on? It reminds me of when Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. He says, as it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And to me, I look at the crowd here, and these are the ones that, that, these are the ones that Jesus literally said, you know, if these people don't cry out, the rocks will. This praise must take forth. And there's all, all these positive things going on in this moment. A lot of positive things. But at the same time, knowing the word like we do, we look ahead and it's like, these are the same people that later would say, crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus was, he was quoting the prophet Isaiah in chapter 29, verse 13, whenever he says that the Lord said, because these people, and listen closely, Because these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their worship of me is a human commandment learned by rote. Basically, in that last part right there is basically talking about a religious religious attitude. This was the same crowd, same one that said, Hosanna in the highest, is the same crowd that would eventually say, crucify him. And I'm thinking, how can that happen? I've always asked that question. When, when I'd hear a sermon and they're usually all positive and it's like, you know, the rocks will cry out and you got songs written about it and all. It's, it is. It's very positive. But for me, as I read the word, I'm like, but man, there's kind of a thing that throws me back. This is the same crowd that sells him out later, right? And I'm thinking, how does that happen? And really just this past week, I'm asking that, self, that question a little deeper, a little further, and then just doing a little bit of reading and studying. Here's what I find out. 
The answer lies within the donkey. Of course it does. (laughs) It's all about the donkey. (laughs) Here's the deal. In that culture, it's what I read this past week, from different commentaries, a lot of different scholars and, and theologians kind of pointing to some of the same things. In that culture, a donkey is an animal of peace as opposed to a horse, which is an animal of war. And so a king who rides in on a horse says, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to throw. I'm ready for war. But a king who would ride into a city in a triumphal entry or uh, you know, otherwise, when he rides in, on a donkey, he's basically saying, it's time for peace. I seek peace. I don't come in the name of war. I come in peace. Okay, this is a big deal, right? This, this can shift it a little bit. This helps me to understand what's going on. Remember what I said? There's a little bit of a religious attitude. Remember what I said? They had been looking for a king. They literally said, Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna to the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even to the king. They've been looking for the king. We talk about this a lot. The, Israel, uh, the Jewish people of that day, they were looking for a Messiah, for sure. They were listening to the words of the prophets. They knew that, that their king was coming. But the thing is, is they were looking for a king who would come to conquer. That's, they full on had that in their mind. Messiah will come and he will deliver us from the rule of the Romans. He will deliver us from any oppression, just like he did in the days of Moses. Our God will send a deliverer. He will send the, reliever, uh, the redeemer. He will send Messiah and he will, he will, we will all go to Disneyland. This is going to be a good thing. You know, Israelites went to the promised land. We're going to Disneyland, whatever. That's what they were, and they were hardcore thinking that. And this is the problem. Jesus, on purpose, what did he say? He said, go get me a donkey. You know, the disciples are like, and he said, and if anybody says anything, of course somebody's going to say something. If anybody says anything, tell them Jesus sent you. In one of the other accounts, it it talks about how a man was like, what are you you doing with my donkey? The Lord needs it. Oh, okay. Jesus sent for the donkey. And when he did that, he had something very, very significant in mind. Something that he understood and really something that the Jewish people of the day, anybody of the day, would have understood. But they were so dead set on a conquering king, a king coming to make war on anybody who opposed Israel, the Jewish people. A king that would come and conquer and bring them out of any oppression that they could not see the simple gesture that Jesus was making to communicate a massive truth. I'm coming in peace. I'm not coming to make war. Not that he won't come to make war. We know scripture says that there's a day when Jesus is going to come to make war, right? Right? In Revelations. In fact, let's read it. I'll read it real quick just so you'll know. I'm not saying Jesus ain't going to kick tail someday. (laughs) Revelations 19 verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white donkey? No. 
horse, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful, capital F, and True, capital T. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and his heads are of many diadems. And he has a name written on him, which no one knows except for himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. There's a day when he will come on a horse, but this wasn't the day. He was coming in peace. What the people missed is this. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem was as the prince of peace, not as a king waging war. And the people were so caught up with themselves, with their surroundings, Rome's rule over them, their physical condition, their physical hardship, that they missed the real reason that Jesus came. And that was to bring peace to their spiritual condition. Amen? And it just got me to thinking this week about how important it is, first of all, preparing the way. Throughout Scripture, if you read, anytime people have an encounter with God or God says, I'm coming to meet with you, kind of like when he met with um, the people of Israel, he told Moses, go tell the people to consecrate themselves, I'm coming. You've got three days to get it done, I'm coming in three days, I'm going to meet with you. He told them to prepare, get ready, because I'm going to meet with them. And you see that all over Scripture. When God wants to meet with somebody, there's some sort of preparation that goes on. This, this is the heart cry of our, of our worship, of our prayer life. When we are at home and we're here and we're praising and we're worshiping in our conversations, we talk about wanting to meet with God. We talk about wanting to experience the glory, glory of the Lord. We say, more of your glory in all the things that we pray. But sometimes what we fail to realize is there's a preparation that has to take place in that meeting of the Lord. Now, what I'm not saying is that we have to be perfect in all of our ways to meet with God. We know that that's not true because the Word says that we can approach the throne of, thankfully, the throne of grace, confidently because of the bloodshed of Jesus Christ, what He did on the cross. Amen? But what I'm saying is that there is some sort of intentional thing that has to be going on in our lives consistently for us to have that really powerful encounter that we're praying so hard for. You can't pray hard for it and not prepare for it. And I was looking and, and praying in scriptures, like, Lord, what does it mean? How do I prepare? Do I put on my right clothes? Do I put on a little beanie? Do I need to put some sort of fake mustache on? To, you know, what do I need to do? And the Lord led me to, um, to Isaiah 40. Can we turn there? And this is very simple. This is very simple. Now, if you're familiar with Isaiah Chapter 40. Let me find it. I lost it. Are you all with me? This is really important, you guys. Because I don't want to be the person that's saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord right here in worship. I don't want to sit on the front row and be like this. Woohoo! On a Sunday morning. And then by Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, with my actions... My body, my actions, my life screaming, crucify him. I don't want to be that person. I don't doubt any of us want to be that person. Okay, Isaiah 40. Now, the uh, heading over this, we'll start in verse 1, says the greatness of God. I, I love the headings. I, I, I just like them. Triumphal entry, greatness of God, etc. It says, comfort 
Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended. That her iniquity has been removed. That she has received of the Lord's hand double for, her, for all of her sins. Now, by the way, I'm going to read further. But this is called a messianic prophecy. This, this passage of scripture is about to point majorly to Jesus Christ. It's happened. All, there's all kinds of scriptures. Well, really, everything points to Jesus in this if you can dig and, and find it and understand it. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity or sin or transgressions has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, for the things that she's done wrong, for the things, the, uh, the adulterous spirit, the, the act of turning away from God, however many times, there's a double portion coming that's going to be a blessing. Some scholars even believe that that talks about uh, the two uh, times when they were held captive. Israel was held captive. You're gonna, that was a tough time for you. That happened because of your adulterous spirit. But what I'm telling you is there's a day coming when you will be double blessed. Amen? And then it says in verse 3, and this is where it gets cool. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now we know, first of all, let me say, we know that this is a scripture that, uh, that points to John the Baptist because he was the one preparing a way in the desert, make way, make ready a way for the Lord, make a way for the Lord, prepare ye the way of the Lord, however your version says it. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Um, clear the way. This is, you guys ever heard of a, a harbinger? A harbinger is someone that's sent out ahead to declare, hey, a royal person's coming, prepare us a place to stay, prepare us a meal. Hey, he's coming. He's almost here. He's like a mile back. You guys better get ready. Prepare the way. That's what John the Baptist was, right? A harbinger. A weird word, but that's what he was. He was kind of a weird guy, all the locust and all the stuff that he wore. So right there, listen, right there is a state of preparation. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Get ready. Royalty is coming. And then it says, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. This is another way of saying the same thing. This speaks more of like a pioneer. What a pioneer would go out, they would also send people out in front of royal entourages to clear stones and different things that would obstruct their path to make it nice and easy and pleasant for the royalty. So he's also saying, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. It's another statement of preparation. Make the path ready because the king is coming. Royalty is coming. And then here's what it says. And this is what I want to focus on. It says, let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And the Lord showed me something right here. This is key for us this morning. You listening? Right here, our verses, obviously this is, this is a messianic prophecy. And so speaking of messianic prophecy, how many rocks were out in the desert had nothing to do with Jesus coming, right? He's not talking. This is, this is kind of a symbolic. 
He's making a word picture. He's drawing a word picture here. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about a preparation of the heart. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. This is dealing with the heart. When he says, let every valley be lifted up, what he's talking about is that heart condition called hopelessness. The valley. Because even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear that place. Why? Because thou art with me. God is with me. There's a condition of the heart that will cause us not to receive exactly who Jesus is and wants to be in those moments that we're crying out, let me see your glory. There's, there's um, moments of hopelessness. A condition of our heart is, what's the point? Maybe you've been through this, you've been through that, you've been through these things that are literally just dragging you deeper and deeper and deeper into the valley. And if there's not a clear vision of what your king is and who he is and what he's doing and what he's accomplishing, in our case, the prince of peace. He has come to let peace rule where? In our hearts. Let every valley be lifted up. In other words, that hopelessness needs to go. The path that, that causes me to come is, a, is one that isn't of despair. Don't despair. Why? Because your king is coming. Let that valley, let it be straight. Let it be raised up. And then look what he says on the total flip side of that. And every mountain and hill be made low. What's he talking about? What heart condition? Pride. Because those are the two extremes, aren't they? (laughs) We are in a state of, woe is me, I'm hopeless, oh, this will never happen, which is a terrible view of our Prince of Peace. Or we're in the opposite, pendulum swing wide state of, I don't need him anyway. Oh, he's a king. I know we don't say that, but our actions, our attitudes, our verbiage sometimes is basically nothing but pride. And whether you're on the low end of that spectrum or you're on the upper end of that spectrum, what God is saying is straighten that path out. Deal with the condition of your heart. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Are you wallowing in self-pity Are you wallowing in hopelessness? Are you not believing the gestures that the Lord has put forward in your life, that he is the Prince of Peace? He's the Son of the living God. Everything Isaiah 61 says, I've been anointed to preach the good news, to set captives free. If you don't have that view... And understanding, because why? Because I'm absorbed with my, my, with my surroundings. What's going on? Oh, peace in Rome. Peace in Rome. That was the problem. And this is why one day we say Hosanna, and the next day we say crucify him. I think today the Lord, very simply put, the Lord is asking us to learn how to prepare the way 
to meet with him. And I know we meet with him. We pray, but I'm talking about, look what it says. Let the valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low. Every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain. We could go into those two, but I won't. And the rugged terrain, a broad valley. And then verse five, and it says, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. There's all kinds of ways that we ask for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. All kinds of different ways. In our worship time, in our prayer time, in our crying out to God, oh, in our valleys. But the bottom line is that there is the glory of the Lord that he wants to reveal to us. You know, glory, I I tell my sons that glory basically means um, God's reputation, who he is. You want to know more of who he is? You want to experience more of who he is? All, All the different ways that we can say that. Let every valley be lifted up. Why? Because he's the glory and lifter of your head. There's no reason to wallow in that valley. Isn't that what the word says? And let every mountain and hill be made low. Why? Because pride, doesn't. he opposes that. And the Lord opposes us in different ways. Again, I'm not saying he rejects us. That's different. But he opposes us. And that can mean different things at different times in our life. I, I've, I know there's seasons where the Lord has opposed me I'm like, what's the deal? Oh, oh yeah, I was, I was being prideful. <laughs> then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask Sean and the worship team to come back up. We're going to spend a little bit of time uh, in the presence of the Lord. Uh, really quick, I would like for uh, Danielle to come share briefly what the Lord was speaking to her. In the service, I'm not sure if she's even still here. There she is. Um, this morning during worship, I don't normally get feelings from the Lord, but I felt like I've been told something by Him for me to do before, and I didn't do it because I talked myself out of it, and I felt really awful for a while, so I obeyed this time. But um, I've just felt during worship that the Lord was saying He wanted to set someone free. I don't know if it's many people, but it felt like it was a, a bondage that he wanted to lose someone's chains from to set the slaves free and to bring them freedom. So. Thank you for sharing that. And it's always interesting in times like this. It's a ministry time. It's so hard because we've already been here a while. I've been standing 10 times because Tony's always like, stand. <laughs> our stomachs are starting to growl. Our, our, our mouths are becoming parched. Our feet are hurting, our bottoms are hurting, whatever. Our phones are ringing. I got 10 text messages during the met, you know. So I understand, but listen, I also understand that it's in times like these where God has, has rocked the foundation of our lives. Moments where the worship team is, is just ministering songs out to the body and there's an anointing of the Lord to, to communicate His goodness and His love and His desire to meet with us and to reveal more of Himself, more of His glory. Times where supernatural things happen. There's transactions in the Spirit and they're hard to describe, but those of you who have felt those, you know what I'm talking about. And I, I just encourage us as a body to never neglect that moment. There's no hunger pain more valuable than uh, the pain of not getting to connect or reconnect with the Lord. So as Sean and the team um, just sing out songs 
and, and lead, um, I encourage you to just to connect with the Lord. Maybe to address those two issues. Which, which one is prominent in your life? And oddly, both can be prominent. Hopelessness and pride can exist in the same heart. So if you feel comfortable, just as a start, just, just saying, Lord, I release all of the physical conditions right now to focus on the spiritual. And one of the ways that you can do that, there's no power in and of the act, except that I think spiritually it can, it can um, communicate to the Lord humility, um, passion, desire, surrender. If you feel comfortable this morning, I'd love for you to, to lift a hand or two and just begin to maybe verbally or just in your heart communicate what's stirring through this message today. The Lord does want to communicate more, to reveal more to His children. Scripture validates that thought. Knock, the door will be open. Ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Lord, we stand here right now in your presence and we pour our heart out to you. Lord, help us to have eyes to see. Lord, that we would not miss the small gestures that you make. Let us not miss that you are the Prince of Peace, that you are for us, not against us. That you love us, that you are faithful, that you have filled us with your Holy Spirit and have promised to guide us and lead us by your word, to comfort us, to counsel us through your Spirit. We surrender in the moment. 